Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about how the US has managed to subdue inflation and remain a leading global market, as well as where opportunities may be for investors. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Stephen Peters, Senior Investment Specialist, and Francis Adai, Senior Investment Strategist. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. This week, I'm really pleased to be joined by Francis and Stephen, and we're going to think about America, not a holiday to America, rather what is happening in markets over there. But before we get across the sea, Francis, what's happening generally with markets? Okay, so the news is in, and the Bank of England has increased the base rate by 0.25%. It's now at its highest point since 2008, and the base rate stands at 5.25%, which is um, exceptionally high, and a lot of consumers would obviously feel this pinch in you know, any type of interest rates, product, etc. Judging by the expectations in the lead-up to the meeting, it was quite a close call. Some investors were expecting a 0.5% increase. The actual number was 0.25, so lower than the, some expectations. I think the 0.5% expectation from some investors were due to the still high wage growth that we see in the UK. And Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, has spoken a numerous amount of times about how he thinks that wages are contributing to inflation. But I think what what probably did nudge the Bank of England into only raising rates by 0.5% would have been the large inflation miss that we saw last month So UK inflation surprised downwards, something we hadn't seen in quite a long time. Governor Andrew Bailey did push back a bit against the notion that once the inflation starts to fall, that the base rate will fall as well. So he, you know, the the Bank of England essentially doesn't want consumers or businesses to expect an immediate interest rate cut or a fall. They are still of the opinion that interest rates remain higher for a little bit longer in order to bring down inflation further, closer to the 2% in a sustainable manner. So that is probably the the major takeaway from the Bank of England. Thanks. And what's going on outside of the UK? With America, the um, credit rating agency Hitch has downgraded the US, the US government's um, credit. It's effectively lowered by one knot. So it used to be AAA, now it's AA+. The justification is, is basically due to the country's worsening fiscal outlook. And features of the opinion that it's likely to deteriorate over the next few years, given that you're likely to see tax cuts and new spending initiatives. And just in general, there's been a decline in confidence. Um, if you go back to, for example, the debt ceiling debacle, we had that 11th hour agreement. So features of the opinion that um, risks are rising and there's just less confidence in how fiscal agreements on the fiscal side are made. Now, all those equals, this should mean higher cost of borrowing for the U.S., something which should be reflected in, in bond yields. And looking at the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury curve, bond yields are a little bit higher, but it's nothing out the ordinary. So in a way, it doesn't seem like bond markets are taking this too seriously, I would say. Uh, famous last words. The last time this happened in 2011, stopped sort of quite aggressively which is obviously something we have not seen. So I personally thought that the move was a bit strange in terms of timing. I think something like this close to the timing of the debt debacle would have been a lot more appropriate or would have made sense. 
but that has, you know, that has been resolved now. And actually, within the Debt Ceiling Act, some of the policies that were changed actually meant um, a less, though, a more modest spending increase, and so less less spending than originally planned. Since then, also, we've seen U.S. recession tears have fallen, inflation has fallen, and economic growth is a little bit more resilient. If we, just quickly on earnings, we're also currently in the earnings in the Q2 earnings season. The takeaway from there is that about half of the S&P 500 companies have reported this far, uh, so far. Their year-on-year earnings growth is roughly 1%, so 1% positive. Now, that compares to a negative 8% estimate heading into the season. So, again, the takeaway there is that earnings are very resilient relative to what we expected. Last week was quite busy in terms of central bank meetings. So you had the Federal Reserve, you had, you had the Bank of Japan and the ECB all meeting. In the US, so for the Federal Reserve, there wasn't much of a surprise. Uh, it's most likely the last interest rate hike they've made. Inflation is coming down. Unemployment hasn't weakened as such, despite inflation coming down, which in a way is a positive. On the Bank of Japan side, there was a bit of a surprise. In the lead up to the meeting, the governor, Ueda, so the governor of the Bank of Japan, was quite explicit in his communication that there would be no adjustment to the yield yield curve control policy, which is essentially something that BOJ uses in order to maintain the yield on their 10-year government bond in a specific range. They don't like it to go above 0.5%. But at the meeting, the announcement was that they would actually let it rise closer to 1%, which spooked interest rates uh, markets a little bit. We saw some quite aggressive moves on the day. But since then, things have calmed down a bit more on that side. So yeah, th- those are probably the main takeaways from what I've seen so far in the last few days. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Francis, for kind of giving this the broad perspective. So Stephen, I want to come to you now and talk about the US. You spend a lot of time with fund managers. Can you share what you're currently discussing with them? What are the hot topics? Yeah, hi, Sarah. The The hot topic, without any doubt, is what's become known as the Magnificent Seven. And that's not the film. But it's the uh, the seven tech-related stocks that are have really led the, mar- the U.S. market upwards this year. Going back a few years, the the similar uh, acronym or initial was uh, was Fangs. So you know Facebook and Alphabet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this year it's the Magnificent Seven. These include the likes of Apple, um, which we all know what they do. Nvidia, which is making who make chips, microchips. And the big common theme which is being talked about by everybody is definitely that of AI. Everybody's talking about it, the impact it will have on how we all work, how we live our lives, the earnings of companies. That's really the impact. And then what impact that's had on company valuations. So for instance, you know, the market expects Tesla's earnings to fall over the, the next you know, six, nine, 12 months. But actually the valuations that the market is putting on Tesla's shares has gone up markedly. So there's this ongoing debate, all related to these stocks, you know, long term versus short term. Do we do we own these stocks for the long term or have they, have they rallied so strongly? Should we, you know, move away from them and move into other industries which have lagged, you know, oil or consumer or utilities, things like that? That's really the debate. It's the tech debate, the AI debate and the short term versus long term debate. Magnificent Seven. I'm going to remember that. As soon as you said that, I was thinking about Secret Seven. But yeah, maybe I should be, I will now be thinking about Magnificent. Thinking, kind of moving on, what about valuations? What's happening there in the US at the moment? There's no doubt that valuations are 
high. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the the price, the share price versus the earnings or the future cash flows that the market expects a company to produce are high. You know, the, the multiples are are high. Now, that is not unusual for the US. That's been the case probably for the last 15 years. There, We'll talk about why that might be the case. But the debate, as always, between the two camps in, of fund managers is that you always want to buy quality. It's always worthwhile paying up for quality versus the other side of the, the discussion, which is the price you pay for an asset is the key driver of how much money you will make from owning that asset. And those they, that latter camp are the ones that look at the current prices of US equities and go, they're too high. So that is where the valuations are. It's always a split debate, but valuations are undoubtedly high today. So on, on that, Stephen, we also observe, so as you know, we were top down, right? So we wouldn't look at specific stocks, but we would look at the US as a whole, you know, more specifically S&P 500 or MSCI US. And we observe something similar. We use a slightly different approach. So we say, we say how expensive are equity earnings relative to the yield on bonds? So in effectively relative to the risk-free rate, how much do you get above and beyond for holding equities? And that measure, we see it at a 20-year low. As you mentioned, equity, US equities tend to have a premium. They tend to be expensive. But if even if you adjust for that, they're still quite expensive. The question now, or what has been interesting to note this year, is that a lot of the returns you've seen in the US have actually come from valuations re-rating, i.e. expanding further, right? Not so much from earnings side. So the questions we're asking us, uh, asking ourselves in the team at the moment is, how sustainable is this? How sustainable can you have valuation keep on improving without having a support of earnings? And the history tells us it isn't that sustainable. But it's a very good point you mentioned. Mm, interesting. Good debate there. Maybe, oh, actually, I don't mind who answers this question. My next question is, what about inflation and interest rates? Actually, Stephen, let's start with you. What's happening here? It's, it's again, it's the, it's the, a common topic of conversation. We now have more normal levels of interest rates in the UK and in the US. What impact does that have on markets? The and there's no, there's I can't give you a firm answer on this. There's two schools of thought. One school of thought is possibly that investors will just stick to what they know, and they'll say in the, in the case of rising interest rates, in case of falling inflation, what we'll do is we'll stick to companies that have pricing power. These are the quality growth names that have done so well for the last decade or more. That's definitely one school of thought. Very little consensus, I would say, and Francis may have more views, but um, I'd, I'd always say that one thing we I'm very aware of is that I spend a lot of time listening to people tell me what they what they want to happen rather than what they you know actually think will happen based on data. Yeah. Mm, okay. Be careful. Be careful talking to Stephen. He might see through you. <laughs> Francis, yeah. do you have any views? Yeah, What's your views on I mean, what's going to happen? Again, you know, you even said inflation being closer to normal. That's a very dangerous word, normal. Um, but it, yeah, you know, the, the disinflation, the fall inflation, it's been a massive trend. It's been a big push in equities as well as bonds. Looking further ahead, we, we think that theme continues but we think it will be less positive for equities, but more positive for bonds. As you know, equities tend to do really well when you have growth being solid and you have inflation being stable. 
So I think there may be a little bit more upside as inflation comes down, but you'll get to the point when inflation becomes a bit too low. It doesn't really tend to work in equity favor or people work more in bond favors, as in the inflation risk premium starts to fall, which brings down bond yields. So, but we, I do agree with Stephen's observation, inflation being definitely the, the, the big game in town for all asset classes. So I guess whatever you think, if we look at US markets, they've been doing really well. Um, Stephen, what's, what makes the US market so hard to beat? What is it that makes it special? It's the, the main market globally, isn't it? As the old phrase goes, you know, the US, if the US sneezes, the world catches a cold. The longer term, the US has delivered faster growth. US stock market has delivered faster growth than other global markets. It's very well covered, lots of participants, huge rise in the last two decades or so of exchange traded funds and passive investors. Clearly, it's got the the main story of the 2000s, which is the rise in the tech sector and all the names we've touched on before. But interestingly, you know, that comes with its own challenges. And to some extent, the US is becoming a bit like the UK, which listeners may remember, I spend a lot of my time, most of my time looking at the UK market. Today, the top 10 biggest companies in the US make up about a third of the total value of the stock market. Now, that makes life quite difficult for for active managers and will make their life difficult going forward, which is, do you really, really want to put 10% of your client's assets in one stock just to take a view? You want to justify your your existence by being overweight and having a view on a particular stock, but do you want to put... 10% of your entire fund in one stock? Probably not. This is the challenge that many UK fund managers have had over the last two decades or more. And it's increasingly the challenge that the US ones will have looking forward. But going back, as I said at the start, the US market has been the one to beat. Mm, Interesting. Brave person that wants to put 10% of their portfolio in one stock. Is there anything that you think is fundamentally better or different in the US market than, say, the UK market, which you've just mentioned you cover as well? Yeah, I think the one observation I would would make is if you compare the US to the UK, the US chief executive, the US stock market places a much bigger focus and much more weight on returns, return on equity, actually growing the, the value of the company, growing its share price, growing its earnings. Whereas the UK has a history of focusing on dividends paid back to shareholders to you know pay their gas bill, pay their pensions, etc., rather than on capital returns. And I would say that's probably cultural. And without wanting to go into any stereotypes at all here, I think we, I mean, I, my observation would be the big difference between fund management groups that distinguish the good from the very good to the great arguably is one of culture. And I think there's probably a lot to say that that might apply to company management as well. I think we're getting into quite a complicated conversation. So I'm going to move us back mm. to performance. Do you think the good performance can continue? Well, that is indeed the $64,000 question. And I would say, does anybody have greater insight than others uh, over whether it's going to continue over the next day, week, month, year? Probably not. Tens of millions of dollars are spent on by analysts trying to answer this question. But I would argue the more pertinent question for investors right now is, is should you stay invested in the US? It's very simple. Should you stay invested in the US irrespective of shorter term performance? And quite simply, I think the answer is, uh, is yes. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was around kind of AI and, you know, that kind of that tech aspect. Do you think that's a game changer? And should investors just own technology shares and ignore everything else? So will tech tech and AI just continue to go upwards? 
is the sky the limit? To, to last year, I mean, we've we've had various crashes, haven't we? Over the years, we've had twenty yeah. you know, tech TMT crisis and we had two thousand and eight and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Two thousand twenty last year, uh, so two thousand twenty two last year showed that when things change, really expensively valued stocks do really struggle share price. Often that's temporary. But as listeners have heard before from our, our behavioral finance colleagues, we take more pain from a dollar of loss than we do from a, than the gain we make from a dollar of, of appreciating share price. So I would say that actually probably the best opportunities for active managers, the best opportunities for them to beat their benchmarks actually comes outside of owning the very biggest names in the US. It looks on the data that medium and smaller company stocks look better value today. And the managers we are speaking to seem to be allocating more and more money to that bit of the market. And you could argue why that is. Is that due down to the Inflation Reduction Act? Is that down to beneficiaries of the Buy America theme in the US? Um, that's another conversation. So, but I would always, I would simply say, just to reiterate what we say often on these podcasts, which is stay long term, stay invested and stay diversified. It would be it would be dangerous, I think, to stick all of your eggs in a particular basket, such as AI. Not to say it won't make money in the short term, but in the long term, definitely maths is on your side if you stay diversified and you keep that long term horizon. Excellent, Stephen. I love that. So let's lend it there on that on that maths. So perfect. Thank you, Francis. Thank you for Stephen for joining us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Look forward to joining you all again soon for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.